How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the Bright Verda podcast. We have a very special guest in today's episode. This is episode 14. Um, obviously, with everything that's going on around the world, I wanted to use my platform to uh, allow different opinions, different voices. Um, and I also wanted to talk about everything that's going on, which is the Black Lives Matter movement, the protest, uh, George Floyd's death, murder, I want to say. Um, Murder. <laughs> Murder. So with that being said, let's welcome our very first special guest in this podcast history, Imani Wilhelms, or Williams is it a W is or with a V? It's Williams is good. Okay, Williams. Um, mm-hmm. Welcome to the pod. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's It's been so, so crazy. Um, but, you know, through all the madness, the soccer is one of those things that can bring us all together. So uh, it's kind of like one of the best times to talk about that because I think unlike a lot of sports in America, soccer really depends on the camaraderie and, and the quality of the club you, you have usually depends on like how strong the fan culture is. If you've got really strong fan culture, um, you, you can have a lot of power in terms of like what you're able to affect um, in terms of like the play on the field. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, so for really big, successful newer clubs, um, you know, when Orlando first came on the scene, when Portland came on the scene, when Seattle came on the scene uh, with Atlanta, they've done something incredible. Um, and you can kind of see how getting that huge grassroots support and that huge kick of momentum from the beginning can literally carry a club on from the start. I mean, I, I think I knew Atlanta was excited for them, but I didn't think they were going to kick off their like MLS like legacy the way they've done it so far. And, and it's kind of exciting for Austin FC. Correct. We've got some really good, you know, we've got a really good chance to do things here. We've got the back of the city. We've got McConaughey on our team. It feels yeah. good, man. <laughs> it does. It's really exciting. And um, we actually had a, a meeting, a meet and greet with uh, Claudio Reina, who is a sporting director and, in that meet and greet, it was so um, it was so cool to to hear him talk about. Obviously, he launched the NYCFC franchise, and you know that how how successful that was. Um, and when he compares it, like he he wants to be he wants Austin FC to be talked about in the in the same uh, realm as as the Atlantas, as the NYCFCs, you know. And uh, it's super exciting for Austin because it's our first ever professional team. So, yeah, it's going to be really cool. Listos. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So, where are you currently? Are you you're in in the Netherlands? Yeah. So currently, I'm abroad right now. I've been stuck over here kind of since COVID nineteen, and and I've wanted to come back at the same time like maybe it's the best thing for me to be out here i I know that a lot of countries have just like you know extended visas and everything because they know it's really hard for people to travel right now so that's been really difficult it's Mm -hmm. kind of like but it's actually been a great opportunity for me to kind of experience another culture when it comes to even coronavirus and how like the group think mentality that a culture can build can actually get people through crisis Mm -hmm. so like uh being in the Netherlands during COVID-19, like no one ever really ran out of food here. No one ever ran out of toilet paper. They never ran out of beer. <laughs> there was always alcohol. <laughs> like, you know, no one, no one panicked. Uh, you know, they, they had hand sanitizer. They had everything really. And, and there's a culture here of really not consuming more than what you need. 
So like everybody never really buys two of everything. So like if you went to the grocery store, like even during the height of everything going on, like you never buy more than two or something because everyone else will like look at you and just be like, no, 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 that's not how we do things. It's a culture uh, thing. It w- is very much a culture thing. And I think that also like uh, if you, if you can, like the Netherlands is one of the most free countries in the world on the world freedom index. They're at number five and we're at number 11. Um, and they believe in the freedom of choice. Like mm. the government's not really going to tell you to do much that like, you know, doesn't like, they're, like they don't like, for example, the police aren't armed here. Like it, nobody really has guns here. Uh, there's not, there's not like a lot of like limitations, but like, you know, marijuana is legal. Mushrooms are legal. But like, almost nobody really smokes weed. Almost nobody does mushrooms. Like, right? Because it's, like, it's, it's, it's it's available, but yeah. that that factor of like, ooh, I'm gonna do this is gone. Yeah, it loses its edge completely. Right. It it really does. Um, and it's it's been interesting to be how the Dutch determine freedom. They have this concept of like freedom from like America wants freedom from freedom from tyranny, freedom from God mm. knows what, and in the EU, it's freedom too. So freedom to do things, freedom to, to be places, freedom to go go places. And because like there's a history of like the Holocaust and World War II here, they were very much like, especially in the Netherlands, because literally the Netherlands was just like taken over. Um, they were literally just like, we're not going to lock you in your homes because we know that we don't want to restrict freedom that way. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it was, it was kind of interesting in that sense to kind of witness what it was like if people just said collectively, like, we're not going to hoard, we're not going to panic because the, the truth is this, the truth is this, right? Technically, coronavirus shouldn't change anything that you normally do in terms of food consumption, right? Mm-hmm. right. But what will change food consumption and what will hurt the supply chain um, is like a situation where everybody all of a sudden goes to buy two months of food. So all of a right. sudden, like, yeah. <laughs> so that's why all of a sudden the grocery stores are empty. And it was, it was really tough because like, even like watching from here before I switched careers, I um, was a, a frontline worker. I was a healthcare worker. Mm-hmm. I worked for seven years at Yale Haven hospital. And um, like, I would have been in that situation where maybe I'm getting off at like midnight and like going mm-hmm. to the 24 hour grocery store. Cause I'm just trying to pick something up that I have for the next day. And like, nothing's available you know, right. and, and that's so, so difficult, but I hope we can learn from this. And I think that people did learn, I think after like that initial, like first, like two, three weeks and, and the absolute panic going on, uh, it kind of subsided a bit. They found out, remember, they didn't really know much about the virus in the beginning. So they found out about that. Um, but yeah, it's been interesting to see how it is here. And, and the policing here is very much like, you know, they ask you to socially distance There's signs, but like no one's going to be putting anybody in handcuffs. Like that's not happening here. Um, nobody's wow. like, yeah, like nobody's IDing people in the streets. You're not going to get stopped for being out. Like um, a lot of the EU is policed by consent. So you have to uh, have someone's consent to like ask them questions. You, you can't you can't just arrest somebody because you assume something about them. Mm-hmm. Um, in the UK, this is especially the case where they have to like you. Ha- they have to ask you questions. You answer the questions, and they like determine um, what to do after. For example, if they ask you like you know, can you show me your ID, and you say no. That's like, they're like, okay. And then they're like, well, have you been arrested? 
and you say no, they're like, okay, well, have a nice day. Like you, you can walk away. You can like, wow. you, you know, if you're, it's, it's policing by respect. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a social contract. It's respect based. Um, people in Europe have worked uh, really hard for like uh, their freedom and their rights because um, in Europe, uh, they're coming away from a feudal system, like a, a social caste system of, you know, worker, soldier, mm-hmm. um, the aristocracy. And for a long time, people who were fiefs and tenant farmers, they like were pretty much relegated to slavery. That is the truth. Uh, there's a lot of working class solidarity that crosses borders between Black Lives Matter and the working class movement mm-hmm. um, in the UK and the rest of Europe. Um, and, and they're definitely working class people. So they take their rights and freedoms very seriously because until recently, um, most monarchies in Europe, uh, you know, they had complete control in, until the last like couple hundred years or so. But, you know, these places are old, like, you know, you've got 500 year old buildings that have been maintained. They've been maintained right. for 500 years and, and people have a, a lot of pride in where they come from and they really strong trades and, and it's definitely uh, a, an economy that tries to take care of its people, especially uh, in these individual countries. Yeah. So um, that's, it's, it's insane. Uh, and, and that's, I'm a big history buff. Like I, I love, I love history. And um, to me, like I've never visited Europe and um, it's one of my, you know, I have to do it uh, very soon. And I I can't imagine walking through those buildings where they have 500, a thousand years of history. Like I would absolutely flip (laughs) if I, if I saw that. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. And I always say like, if somebody decides they do want to come to Europe, like right now they're closed for tourism. Uh, I don't think tourism is allowed here until June 15th. I don't think international tourism is going to be around for a while, but like if, if, people are able to budget travel like you can go to europe for four or five days you don't have to plan the most luxurious trip you could stay in a hostel okay Mm -hmm. you and a friend or you and four friends could rent a hostel stay in some beds you can rent a bed for like 25 dollars a night right so if you stay for four days 100 100 bucks go see paris go see rome go see berlin go see something different go see people live a different way Mm -hmm. and like you know if you make those trips and you kind of do it on a budget and it's, it's cheaper if you prioritize what's important to you. Like, do you want to have historical experiences? Do you want to have more authentic cultural experiences? Do you want to explore the music scene? Do you want to explore the nightlife? It just depends on where you are. And it's, it's really interesting because you see how people live and it's, and it's the same, but different. Like, Mm -hmm. Americans like everything bigger, like everything's bigger yeah. in Texas yeah. and like, yeah, yeehaw, man. <laughs> like, like, yeehaw, motherfuckers. <laughs> but like, genuinely, like here, it's, it's not really like that. Everyone lives a lot closer together. Like um, Europeans are very conscious of public space and mm-hmm. personal space, personal space people are conscious of, but then they're also conscious of public space. So like, um, you'd be, you'll rarely hear somebody like honking their horn. You'll, you'll not really hear like a lot of traffic, uh, in the Netherlands, people cycle, uh, cycling. Yeah. They cycle so much. There's, there are more bikes than there are people. Um, and it cuts down on traffic. People are healthier. The cities are quieter. The cities are quieter. And, um, it just, it just makes life so different. Like, uh, you, you don't have to really buy a vehicle here. There's mm-hmm. high-speed trains. The buses work. They're clean. They have Wi-Fi. Like everything is very efficient. 
Uh, <laughs> Everything just works. But they work hard at it, my friend. I've, I, can I just say, I've never seen construction workers work faster than in the Netherlands. I've never seen buildings go up. I've seen them tear up entire streets and they're done in like two days. Like it's insane. They, there's, there's, they have a lot of like traditional, they have a traditional trade culture here, you know? So you'll Mm -hmm. have like, you know, your butchers and your bakers and your, and people who are descendants of like Smiths and then your carpenters and, and uh, you know, other tailors, there's all sorts of stuff that like, yeah, the carpentry and and the masonry here is beautiful. And like, Mm -hmm. you can tell it has a long history and it's in their work, they're working class societies. They're just work, they're working class organizations. Uh, And, and they're very, very proud of their history. Like people, you know, there's cheese makers here, like all the fancy stuff that we think is European, like isn't fancy for Europe. (laughs) All the cheeses, all the wine, like it's not fancy for here. They don't have to pay the the import taxes or anything. All the the bakeries, like things that Americans don't understand is like going to the bakery, like every day or every couple of days. And it's just a bakery that breaks your bread. It's not like somewhere that you're going to go get cupcakes. Right. Right yeah (laughs) yeah it's like these guys have been doing this for for centuries like um people don't realize i guess the u.s is is a fairly young country you know these people have been doing this for centuries so they they got it down and they they understand uh how things work um speaking you said you were a healthcare worker in new haven so Mm -hmm. how did you go from connecticut uh, or tell me a little bit about Connecticut. Um, I know you did some work with the American Outlaws, um, yeah. with the Liverpool. Um, uh, is it a supporters group? Yeah, there's one over there. Yeah. Yeah. And how did you go from that to Netherlands? Well, to be honest with you, like I've always had a passion for travel. Um mm-hmm. I've always believed that people can have a better understanding of who we all are if we just spend more time trying to understand one each, each other, mm-hmm. understand one another. So it's, it's a long story. Like I, the first time I went to Europe, I was like 19 and like, I really wanted to go see Real Madrid versus Liverpool in the Champions nice. League. And I was like, gonna do it. And I was determined to do it. And uh, I mean, I made it happen. It wasn't a very long, like, actually, no, it was a long trip, but it was like very much like a, something that I really plan on doing. And uh, I literally designed the whole trip around that game. So I was in Spain in February. If you want to go to Europe, don't go in the summer. Don't ever go in the summer because it's crowded with tourists and it's miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, if you just want to experience like what normal life is like, definitely go in the off season. You can go in like September, October. I mean, if you're going to go to like Spain or Italy, you can go like to like Southern Italy or Spain in February or March and it's okay. It's not that cold. Um, Springtime is great to go. Like if you go like April or May, like even like right after like graduation season, like that early, Mm -hmm. like second, third week of May, tickets are usually a lot cheaper than in the summer when all the other kids are out and, and it just becomes like hell. I've never seen like, I'm originally from New York as well. And like, I, you know, when you're, you're in New York, you don't go to Times Square, like, ever. Right. <laughs> like, you, you avoid it like the plague, you know what I mean? And, like, uh, <laughs> so, like, being in Paris, I think I, I went to the Women's World Cup last summer, and I think that, like, my uh, my friends were, like, in the Louvre, 
and they were like, oh, come find us in the Louvre. Like, we don't really have service. We're just, uh, I was like, okay. Go. I went to the Louvre, like, at, like, noon on a Saturday in, like, July, and it was, like, hell. Insane. Yeah, it just smelled like sweaty children. Like, <sighs> that locker room is sweaty. Like, there's too many people in here. Like, yeah. loud. Like, it, it was it was insane. Uh, but people think that, like, going to Europe is, like, this fancy thing. And, like, it's really, like, not nowadays. Like, I don't know what's going to happen now with COVID-19. I Hopefully, travel still becomes is affordable but we just went through this huge period of affordable travel it kind of sucks because norwegian airlines had just opened a hub in austin i literally booked my trip to amsterdam for 265 dollars uh which is pretty insane yeah and if you if you book one lay flights like let's say you want to go watch football right you want to go watch a soccer match you want to go see like a big club maybe a huge fan of liverpool or real madrid or whatever um and and, and you want to go watch a game let's say um never book a round trip flight to Europe because like you'd leave from a different place that you entered. So right. like you might go to the UK, hang out there, take the train to Paris or, or fly over to, to the Netherlands for like 80 us dollars. It's just to, to hop right over. Um, you could take a bus too, if you wanted, I think it, it cost me like 40 bucks to take a bus from Paris to Amsterdam, air conditioned and all that. And that's an easy wow. you know, decision to make. Uh, so you can do it like cheaply, but, um, you just have to be strategic about it. Definitely like try to go with some friends, Airbnbs and everything are always cheaper. If you go with friends, you can try to, um, you know, just stay in hostels. You can do volunteer work. There's a whole volunteerism industry where you can do volunteer work and basically they'll provide you with a place to stay while you're, while you're traveling abroad, if you do some work for them. So it's, it's quite like interesting, but, uh, for me that kind of changed my perspective on policing. My -hmm. first trip to, um, Europe was yeah in 2009 and I remember I went to Real Madrid Liverpool and I'm a huge Liverpool fan I just remember like seeing them all like jumping up and down and going crazy and everybody's open container in the streets and everybody's drinking and having a good time and and singing and, and it's rocking it's rocking and these people are like taking over this city and like it's not our city you know what I mean like so you would think that people would be a little bit more hostile but you know it's Real Madrid they're a big club people are used to visiting supporters but it's it was kind of crazy to be in the plaza mayor drinking beer and literally it's on it was on the cover of my like fourth grade spanish textbook and (laughs) to be drinking beer and watching soccer there about to like watch two of the biggest clubs was was absolutely insane and and that passion that i saw from liverpool kind of spurred me on to do more with american outlaws spurred mm-hmm. me on to do more um, building a soccer community in my local community, New Haven, that became like a real passion of mine. Um, and yeah, like you'll never walk alone for me. It's been an absolutely huge thing. And if, and if Austin FC wants to look at the success of supporters culture, they should look no further than Liverpool. Liverpool is the best right. football supporters culture in the world. Okay. They are the world's best club. Still, haha, still European champions, still European champions of the world. Uh, <laughs> I see you got that most Salah yeah, jersey in yeah, the back. I see Yeah, that. yeah, it's chilling out. It's chilling out. I'm representing, representing from Austin FC as hey. well. Yay, yay, yay. <laughs> um, <laughs> basically, like, yeah, like, if you if you want to go, go. Like, and, and don't try to wait for all your friends. If you wait for all your friends, it'll never happen. Someone will always have an excuse someone will always cancel last minute everybody's got that one friend that always waits like you spend six months planning something and then someone's like a week before a day before they're like something came up and you're just like whatever so like don't 
don't wait for that. But definitely, like, um, one of the best things about soccer, I say football because, like, uh, I grew up in, like, Irish pubs, and they would correct me. <laughs> They'd be like, you're going gonna to hang out with us and call it football. And I was like, all right, that's an Bet. easy one. <laughs> that's easy to do. Yeah. <laughs> that's all you want from me? All right, that's fine. I can make that concession. Um, and, yeah, it, it's all good, man. Like, and, and, yeah, you learn so much from other cultures, and, and it's amazing, like, I've had, I've watched football over the world and, you know, I work online and, and I travel and, and I just, you know, for a long time, I was just wondering like where the, where my place was in the world and, and football actually helped me kind of figure that out because everything they're telling you about how people can't come together is a lie. It's, it's not true because when right. you watch what happens, when people actually do come together and you've got that same crest on and people have a reason to start talking to each other and getting along and, and everything like that, then only good things happen, my friend. Um, That's so but true. yeah. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So I want to get into uh some of the real issues that are going on um so unless people have been living under a rock we know what happened with george floyd um not only with george floyd with many other um black americans who have (laughs) unfortunately been killed by police yeah um what do you make of these protests? And uh, obviously we have to differentiate between protesters, people that are rioting, people that are looting. Um, There's a vast difference between um, those people. Um, What do you make of the current state in, in America, especially when it comes to black America and the issues that you guys are facing in in this country well black working class americans are dying and i think that's that's uh one thing i want to point out is that everyone's facing racial discrimination but um the chances of you being murdered by a police officer are a lot higher if you don't have like an educational institution or something like that protecting you like somebody that could pay your bail somebody that knows someone that could like you know say oh it's a misunderstanding um, and, and black, it's, it's usually like in like working class black neighborhoods, these things are happening. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case for the Maude Arbery, who's just like literally just jogging, jogging that poor man. Um, it, it's really, really terrible. But in terms of like police brutality, um, what's happening now here is like, we're seeing like a resurgency and like a mentality that America should have already done away with. Um, there are some people who want to take the law into their own hands so much that they become the law. And quite frankly, it's too easy in the United States to become a police officer. It takes like 10 years to become a doctor. You know, you've got to go through rigorous training. You've got to go through school. You've got to go through residency, but it takes like a year maximum to become a police officer. And that's if you spend like six months getting in shape. Like mm-hmm. it, so like it takes you years to work in a hospital environment where you're literally making life or death decisions every single day, but it like, doesn't really like, like take that long to get into a position where you're, you're allowed to take life. We're right. allowed to take life. And, um, I definitely think police should be trained more. I think people should stop demonizing police officers because I just don't think that's right. I'm from a military and police family. And I just don't think it's right to demonize officers, but I absolutely think officers 
need more training. I think they need to get rid of the bad cops. There's definitely more of a few of them. I think uh, for sure that like people need to learn de-escalation techniques. I think they need to stop letting things like the, you know, Israeli police force be teaching people chokeholds and stuff. Like that's, they're using uh, Krav Maga uh, Israeli, Israeli Defense Force tactics in their takedowns. And they almost look so excited that they finally get to use it on someone. Uh, right. When you have like, yeah, when you have 250 pound men beating up 100 pound women and putting them in chokeholds, um, that's, that's not really policing. That's intimidation. Uh, mm. I don't really know what their purpose is, but it's not cool. In terms of protests, protests are good. Protests work. The only way you make change is if you make people uncomfortable at the same time. Looting is terrible and bad and rioting is terrible and bad. What we, what we do need to separate is do not let people call protests a riot because they're not the same language, okay? They are very much different. And I think that Dr. King had the right idea. Peaceful protest is the way to go. Uh, I think that there is some nefarious uh, work going on in this country and that, uh, yeah, the insurrection, like when, when Donald Trump's trying to roll out tanks against his own people and, and you wonder why American education is being defunded and then you see all these guys roll out in, in, in all their combat gear and they're supposed to be protecting us and they look more like they're ready for a fight. We also it happened with that poor old man who, who not right. only was in pushed Buffalo. to the ground, yep, not only was he pushed to the ground, but he was also kind of left there. They kind of was like, no, leave him. And it's just like, wow, wait, way to desensitize someone. You're supposed to protect and serve, and nobody's elders should ever be treated like that. Um, you, you, have to, you have to have a social contract with the police. Like, you're giving them a lot of authority, and they have to be able to not abuse that. And right now, what's going on is, like, everyone is, is – being hurt for no reason uh these guys are power hungry and power sick and because they don't really have to have like rigorous training or even an education completely then then they're not really learning like how to wield that power appropriately um i definitely think that it'd be really cool if they did something like well you get in the police academy and like it's you have to be in the police academy for like four years but then you also get a college degree and it's paid for like mm -hmm. or like you know 50 percent of it's paid for or like you know 30 you know 70% of it's paid for. So, you, so you're coming out with like a degree in like psychology also. That's not interesting. Know? Yeah. That's yeah. Interesting. It makes sense. And, and, it, and it would just help people understand people a little bit better because, you know, you also have to get a general education uh, to maintain it or earn a degree like that as well. Um, but like, I also think that like being a police officer should be how you get the degree. Like, I don't, I don't want, like, it shouldn't be a case where, policing is not a working class job like policing should be a job that that working class people can can aspire to be because uh, college is very very expensive so I don't know what way they would kind of change that but I definitely think that'd be really cool to have like um, because I think it just helps people kind of understand what's happening like 90% of the police officers in the UK are unarmed okay they don't carry weapons they don't carry guns Things are, things are fine. And if they're not fine, people still aren't dying in the streets. Like nobody's dying in the streets there. I think Norway, eight police, like eight people have been killed uh, by police officers in Norway since 2002. Wow. 2002, only eight people in all of Norway have been killed by police officers. So um, when people say there's no other way, there's not a way, what are they supposed to do? It's like, there's plenty of ways. I mean, in terms of football, 
hooliganism in the 80s was crazy. In the 70s and 80s, hooliganism was really, really difficult. In certain parts of uh, Eastern Europe, hooliganism is still happening. Unfortunately, like South America and other parts of the world, sure. But and for the big clubs in Europe, they pretty much eradicated hooliganism by the time they got into like, you know, the mid 90s, um, mid 90s, uh, early 2000s. It was completely gone uh, without with the exception of a few scuffles, you still got to watch yourself if you're going to play any Italian clubs. But um, <laughs> for the most part, for the most part, like hooliganism is kind of done. But two things happened. They stopped treating fans like animals. They're like, if you're going to cage us in, if you're going to treat us like animals, then don't be surprised if we act like it. So that's one of the reasons why all the pens came down in England. Um, I know they still have them in Germany, but you know, you, there's no fence in front of you watching games. Uh, in the UK. Um, it's, they've also policed themselves. So community leaders, community leaders and groups have been like, you know what, this is not how we want to be perceived anymore. We're not gonna like, you know, go embarrass our city, embarrass our club by our behavior. Because when you put it, when you're from a place and you put on the colors, like basically you, you become a representative yourself of your city and your right. conduct is represented, represent yourself and your city. So like you have to make sure you show your best self um, or else, you know, you're doing your people a disservice. And, and I think that it's important to kind of have community pride. I think that Austin, like, has so many different cultures. And through various points in history, they've kind of been separated. Uh, football is like a, soccer is a great opportunity to kind of, like, bring everyone together and kind of put them on the same page. And you kind of have the context already that we're all on the same team. Nobody's questioning, like, are we here to stand with each other or not? Like, we know the answer is yes, okay? It's going to be loud. It's going to be crazy. Um, I, I think we're, we're going to build something really special over there, and we're going to give people a light in their life. Like, some people, like, don't get exposure to diversity. They don't get exposure to people from other cultures, mm-hmm. uh, or it's very, very limited, very secular, or it's in a sterile setting. Like you're in the workplace, like, you know, it, it's not, it's not real life. It's not organic. Uh, no, it's not organic at all. But, but soccer kind of gives us this unique opportunity to kind of come together as a community. And yeah, like it's incredible, but yeah, like police at soccer matches in Europe, they've got football matches and fan support in Europe looks more like a riot than these protests do. They've got mm-hmm. the flags, the smokes, the banners. Okay, everybody's singing and shouting. Like, literally, like, it's, it's crazy if you look at some of the footage of what just, like, a normal march to the stadium looks like, uh, whether you're in Germany or you're in the UK or, or you're in uh, Italy or Spain. Like, it, it's absolutely uh, mental. I had the opportunity to go to an Ajax game, like, right before everything really started shutting down. And... Um, it was kind of great to just see how it is. Like, you know, once, once you, once you start really going to matches and you see how people conduct themselves in, in real life and how the police conduct themselves, it'll change your whole perspective. So like, you know, if, if they, if they defunded the police and reeducated the police, okay. Demilita- demilitarize the police. We stopped giving them all toys to play with. And then, you know, it's kind of hard. Of course, if somebody gives you a beautiful brand new gorgeous gun, you don't you want to shoot it? Like, right. <laughs> so like, Hey, we're going to give you guys all these new riot shields and these toys and these helmets, and this body armor that makes you look like, you know, you're in star Wars, like doing the Imperial March, but like, don't use them. You know, it, it's kind of right. weird. So like in the EU, they've like stopped uh, kind of giving police like riot helmets, riot shields. They stopped all that for the most part, because they realized like if your police are set up 
and they're doing their marches and they're lining up like they're going into battle, then tensions rise and people are going to feel like they're under attack. And then the police are going to feel like they have to defend something. They have to like do something when really nobody really has to do anything. You know, they want to keep the peace, don't they? Like, but if you dress up like you're going into war against your own people, you could kind of see like where the confusion came from. Um, and what's going on right now is, is disgusting. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I know people like there's that young girl, uh, I think it's Sarah Goodman. Is that her name? She was killed uh, by tear gas. She, she was a young OSU graduate, new grad at OSU. Um, and she died know. from being tear gassed. Um, she had an asthma attack and they refused to give her medical attention. Um, and she wow. passed away and, and things like that shouldn't be happening. Like, you know, it should be harder to be a police officer. It's very difficult to become a doctor. It's very difficult to become a nurse. It's very hard to become a pilot. You can't have a few bad pilots as they say. Because right. Planes will crash. So, you know, it, it's not right. And black lives matter. You know, I'm from a strong military family, a military legacy that goes back hundreds of years in this country. And I'm very, very proud of my contribution in this country. Um, I'm not going to say that my, I'm not going to let anybody tell me that my family has not worked hard enough to be here. We've been here for 400 years. Uh, we've been grinding away. We know who we are. Okay. If it wasn't for black America, we wouldn't have like Jack Daniels whiskey. It was a, a slave's recipe. Okay. Nearest green invented Jack Daniels. So there'd be no American style whiskey without black people. Okay. American style barbecue. So much of that influence does come from black culture, the use of spices and everything. And plus who was the servant class at the time? Okay. Who, who are the people who would be making the barbecue? Uh, because they didn't have refrigeration. So it, it wouldn't be like going long distances. So if you were like on a plantation and you had to butcher your own meat, uh, we got the scraps, which is why people ended up eating things like ribs and brisket. And, and now it's a delicacy, uh, just mm. like lobster it used to be a poor people food, but then like people got a taste for it. And now lobster is considered a delicacy brisket ribs are the same way. Um, and also rock and roll, all of modern rock and roll can be traced back to black music. All of, all of modern pop music can be traced black to black music. Uh, rock and roll is just uh, sped up blues. Uh, right. Yeah, Sister Rosetta Tharp, she, she was so amazing. She was really a pioneer of rock and roll who was all but erased until recently. Um, it's been uncovered. So her influence, Chuck Berry's influence, influenced the Beatles, influenced Elvis. And you could literally go, you could trace it all back to black music, you know, uh, blues, jazz, jazz, bebop, funk, soul, disco, hip hop, house music and electronic music comes from funk, disco jazz like or sorry funk disco soul you know r&b you know like you could trace it all back to like african-american music and so i'm very proud of my african-american heritage very proud to be descendant of people who were enslaved and i and i really have like a lot of pride for that and i don't want to let anyone belittle uh my people's contribution and, and anyone who says that we haven't worked hard enough and we haven't earned our keep is lying uh they have yeah. an agenda that they want to fulfill uh, because we know all men and women are created equal. We know that racism isn't real. We know that the human genome is 99.8% the same. And we know that the class structure of the past has been abolished. Okay. It has no place in the modern world. And um, I know people want to be celebrating Confederate heritage, but you can celebrate being from the South without celebrating the Confederacy. They're not mutually exclusive. The Confederacy is gone you know, it, it, it's over and people just need to be okay with that. And you could be proud of being from Texas without 
uh, flying the flag, which was treasonous. Like it's illegal to fly the Nazi flag in Germany. It's illegal to, to show Nazi paraphernalia in Germany. Uh, so I think uh, now the Confederate flag is finally being seen for what it really is. And, and again, nobody's trying to take people's heritage, but it's just time to kind of move on, as they say. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, it, it shows you... I think it puts in display how how racist the United States actually is. It's it's rooted deeply into the country because you have all these statues, these um, honorings across the South, uh, honoring these Confederate uh, soldiers and captains and whatnot, and it's it's kind of um it's a subliminal thing. Like it's it's not maybe like on purpose. But deep down, you're showing that whatever that was, was, was good and should be celebrated, you know? Yeah, I think it's quite weird that they have like this whole lost cause idea that they're like still kind of pining for a rematch. And they've just tried to bait the entire country into to having a rematch. And everyone was like, no, this is absolutely insane. Uh, I, think the, I think the most horrible thing about Confederate ideology is, is, is it's built on a lie. Um, that of white supremacy like whiteness is a colonial concept okay so in europe there's no such thing as being white because everybody has their unique culture so you're dutch you're irish you're italian you're from england they're from france there's there's no such thing as whiteness in europe because everybody has their own unique culture but if you're from a colonial country that had a history of colonization uh, there was oftentimes a history of a racial caste system Right. Mm -hmm. So like whiteness was just a term used for anybody European who is part of the ruling class that came over to administer the colony. Okay. They're part of the colony's administration. Okay. So the, and plus most of the people that were working in the colonies were Brown. So it was a very easy way to separate the classes, like, you know, do it by race. But if you go to Europe, whiteness doesn't exist. Like it's not a thing in Europe. Um, and, and, and it, they all have their own unique cultures, like even within the United Kingdom, like, is it so united? <laughs> you've got, you know, England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, <laughs> then you've got, you know, Ireland has its independence and, and, you know, there's, there's all sorts of conversation happening there. You know, Scotland had a referendum, I think last year or two years ago, where they're trying to be independent. Like people have been talking about it or like, you know, one United Ireland is a conversation that I can't even talk about because I don't really know enough to even talk say anything about that like don't don't know enough culturally to even have an opinion so but like these are all these things happening so anybody who's talking about white heritage or european heritage it's like well do you speak german do you speak dutch do you speak french have you been to france have you been to germany have you been to england do you have any family there do you actually know what those cultures are like because like yeah at a certain point of time like white people in Europe were peasants. And when you actually look at the documentation and you, and you look at the historical documents of what relegated or regulated the classes, they basically had to give their labor and their homage and whatever to their, you know, the aristocracy. And now it's kind of like, again, a social contract. In the Netherlands, there's a very high standard of living. Even though the monarchy is preserved, okay, they have limitations in their power. They're supposed to stay neutral. So there's politics that go on, but they stay neutral. But the quality of life here is very high because they realize like, hey, like you should take care of the people that you, that you have like working for you and, and creating your way of life. So it's very sad to me to see people like build this Confederate idea of white supremacy that doesn't actually exist. Um, and it's kind of used to manipulate people into believing a system that doesn't work anymore. When they were 
basically like the the soldier class for for the european aristocracy maybe it was okay because they basically were going over there to do a job right like you're going over there to like maintain this these systems for our wealth right but like in the modern world it has no place it's just primitive it's primitive behavior it's uncivilized and it's unfit it's an unfit ideology uh for a civilized modern nation and I think it's quite sad that they, they try to trash European culture by aligning themselves with it, even though they don't know anything about European culture. And it, it is tough because you can be proud of America for so many more reasons than, than, than a connection with racism. Um, and, I, and I think that that's something that needs to be said. Uh, in terms of like being proud of your heritage, I'm super proud to be African-American. You will never hear me uh, stand up and, and you know, uh, dismiss and degrade my own people. Um, it's never going to happen. Uh, we've worked hard enough and we were not compensated at all. Um, right. After World War II, uh, you know, the Nazis all went to trial, died, and like Jewish people got reparations and we never really got any of that. And we don't like, we're not really screaming that much about it, but like, it would be nice if we could get like home loans, affordable housing loans. We could get like um, affordable education. I don't want, why, why is affirmative action going to go to people that like weren't around to like make those decisions happen? It's, it's quite strange. So like, we just want, we just want equity. Okay. Right. It's equality, but also we need equity. It's not just equality, it's equity. And, and it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with it. Okay. So like right now in Europe, there's a lot of interesting conversations happening because there's been a lot more immigration in Europe from like African countries and Middle Eastern countries. And, um, all of a sudden there's huge culture classes clashes it's not really racist it's more of a cultural issue because you have somebody who's like coming from the middle east from an ultra conservative country you know where women have to cover their faces and whatnot mm -hmm. and uh you know if you're if you're gay they're going to do an honor killing right? right and then you're bringing them to a culture where people are completely free you know women are free to say what they want women are free to lead um you know people can be gay it doesn't matter like literally it does not matter if you're gay <laughs> like europe west most of western europe's over that kind of stuff like it, you know unless you're in the former soviet bloc like they really just don't care it's not even like a conversation that has to be had it's it's boring at this point um so it's right. it's quite it's quite interesting like in terms of like um the evolution of culture so like right now there's conversations going on about like Dutch tradition called like Zorte Pietz. And I don't really understand the Dutch tradition and I don't think it's racist because I just don't care about it. Like it's such a small thing for me, like for our history, black people were literally hunted in the streets and like you had things like the green book, which had to give you a map on how not to die. If you take a road trip because you end up in the wrong town, which are called sundown towns, they're probably going to kill you after dark. And this is happening, you know, this still, first of all, this still happens, okay? Because, like, just like wow. with Ahmaud Arbery not being charged, nobody being charged for his murder until the footage came, some of these places, they can, people control everything, right? Mm -hmm. they, 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 like to, they like to manipulate the law. They like to be the law, as they say. Um, but, like, in terms of Dutch culture, like, what's happening here, I think it's more of, like, a misunderstanding. I think people coming over from, like, Africa, coming over from the Middle East, but mostly, like, African stuff, most like the Middle East wasn't colonized. So like they still have their own very strong culture and the Middle East has a very strong global culture and a very strong trade culture. So that like, they're, they're very similar when it comes to Africa, like Africa was colonized. So if you're, if you're, if you're looking, if you're talking about racism from, from the guise of 
colonization, then like it is a racial caste. So when they talk about racism, they talk about white people. If you were in Africa or if you were in South America, like white people was the thing. They didn't differentiate between like your class. So like in South Africa, South Africa was an English and Dutch colony and there was a, there was the Boer War and there was, you know, they fought each other. But if you were, if you were, if you were black, those two people were the same. They, they were just higher in the caste system. Right. All right. But like, if you go to actual Europe, if you go to uncolonized countries in Europe, they have their own class system that has nothing to do with race. The class system in Europe has nothing to do with race. So people who are working class in Europe don't understand why people are upset at them from like other countries, because for them, like the caste system has nothing to do with your race. There are people who've been in Europe for a thousand years who are still broken poor. So they're really confused. And I think that some people are getting offended because there's just a misunderstanding, but this is just a side effect of globalization. Like the world is modernizing all of a sudden for the first time in history, everyone can communicate instantaneously. We're sharing ideas instantaneously. People are finding out so many interesting things about people's cultures. And it's very, um, it can be very confusing at times. Like, like, uh, even as an American, like being over here, sometimes there's just little things that I have to like remind myself that I'm like not home. Like uh, when I do my laundry and like the, the clothes never get completely dry, you got to like hang them up. E- even if you put them in a the dryer, <laughs> they never get dry. Just little, little things. Uh, shops actually close here. Like in, like in uh, the Netherlands or in France, like shops close. If you try to go shopping after six o'clock or seven o'clock, you can't, everything is shut down. They, they like, during the weekend, I think on Sunday, shops don't up until noon. Like there's a very set time for you to do your shopping. There's a very set time for you to do things in the morning. And there's a very set time for people to do business. And like, that's just the culture here, but it's always been the culture here. You know, the, the, the farmer's markets in America that are, that are for hipsters. I mean, here they've been, same markets have been going on for like 300 years. Like it's, it's, it's very much a part of the culture. Um, so I, I just think like, you know, people just like, people just need to chill. People need to pay black people, black Americans, African-Americans, people who have fought and died for the United States of America, been in this country, built this country, okay? Like, they need to pay them the respect that they deserve. And, like, it doesn't mean, like, like, I don't know. There's no, there's no privilege. Like, just stop killing us. Stop killing us. Stop arresting us. We're Americans, okay? We built the country. It's funny to me because I'm in the Netherlands now, and, like, Americans came to the Netherlands and helped liberate Europe right? We were part of, right. like, the allied troops. Like, we helped liberate Europe. So, like, it's kind of, like, interesting for me to kind of come here to see, like, this would have been my ancestors, one of their first tastes of freedom. Like, uh, I know that there's some films that depict this. Like, if you want, to like, a really good film that really depicts the reality of race relations in the United States, uh, Mudbound is really, really good. Mudbound's on Netflix. Uh, really, really good. Definitely watch it till the end. Try to pay attention. Try to take the time. Don't be distracted. Just watch the film it's very very telling um and uh the ending is is also very telling as well uh it's about a soldier who returns uh to the south after world war ii after fighting in Patton's army and um yeah it's a story about that and like um how the two soldiers one white and one black and kind of how racism enslaves them both like racism like they're like racism people who are racist are programmed to be racist um 
it's something that you get from from a lot from family people aren't born racist um so if anybody out there is doing the work to kind of deprogram themselves from that kind of mentality i just want to say thank you and like i know you're trying and like keep trying and I, it's going to be hard to understand and there's things you're not going to get and that's fine but like the fact that you even made the effort to kind of want to understand people is is fantastic and, and that's how we grow as human beings like man like we live in such a beautiful time you know like we you could argue that that the internet is a new tower of babylon you know like we we are communicating again uh as as a human species and so much good positive changes come of it and i just think we have to be more responsible because if, if we elect bad leaders if we let power run rampant that same technology that could set us free could also enslave us again uh data has surpassed the value of right. gold this year uh, we just need to be responsible and like this i'm not you know people are allowed to build wealth people are allowed to be successful no no one wants to make this a communist country like nobody nobody's talking about that at all but like you could have responsible capitalism okay you could have like ethical capitalism where like there's enough money for for everyone to have it the fact that you know the richest billionaires in the country made like 500 billion dollars uh, during COVID-19, but 40 million Americans have lost their jobs. So that's one in every four or five American adults have lost their jobs. Like they don't need that money. They don't care about that money. They're not doing anything with that money. It, they're just buying more stock or buying back their own stock and then just creating more wealth. But like really it should be going into the communities. Like everything that we're spending on the military, everything that we're spending uh, on the militarization of police we could be sending in schools. We should be spending in healthcare. It's very sad for me as a former healthcare worker to have cops and body armor, but like nurses and, and uh, techs and, and, and respiratory therapists and all sorts of people, doctors, not being able to get the PPE they need. So it, it's just very disheartening. Trash, I trash think, bags. Yeah, we can do better as Americans. And, and it, that should be an exciting challenge for us. I, I think that's such an exciting challenge for us to want to be better as Americans and kind of once again try to have the highest standard of living in the world uh because right now we're dropping lower on every single list we are not winning anymore okay right. we we need to do better for ourselves and for each other because you're only a country is only as strong as its weakest members right. okay and like we need to do better for americans because like you know we we owe it to ourselves we owe it to our heritage and we owe it to like our future and our children uh, there's so many new challenges facing the next generation um it's just, it's a beautiful time. And I think that we just need to embrace it. I think what we're seeing now is like, there's been such a huge change in culture and technology from 50 years ago that a lot of people are shocked, um, especially the older generation. And now, like even in the most rural places, you can be connected to people halfway around the world. So people aren't isolated anymore. Places in the United States that were isolated, even in the 90s, all of a sudden people have access to, to new information and it's quite cool. And like, you know, soccer is a way to kind of take it all offline and like put it in an environment that everybody understands, you know, like just have a beer, sit down, let's chat. Who are you? Like, what's your name? Where are you from? What's your story? Oh, cool. Do you want to come with us? We're doing this. Do you want to help with a banner? Do you want to help make flags? Do you want to, do you want to carry, you know, you want to light a smoke flare? Like, what do you want to do? Like, you know, you want to help us with some TIFO? Like, like what's going on? Like, let's sing, let's make some songs, let's have some fun and enjoy each other's company. And, and, you know, it's funny to me because like Dr. King's dream, Dr. Martin Luther King's dream was a fantasy at the time. It wasn't reality. Um, it was a fantasy. But like we have the potential to be the 
the generation that achieves that. And, and, and it's not, it's what's supposed to happen. Like this is, this is the natural evolution of the human species. Like this is the only, like I, I consider myself a very spirit, spiritual, religious person. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus Christ. And, and I genuinely believe that like the only constant that God shows us is change. Change is the only constant in the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, everything else is subjective, but change is inevitable. So it must mean that like God wants us to move forward. You know, any, anybody who tries to move backward, there's usually like so much backlash. Um, even now, like people, you know, unfortunately, like I said, this, this Confederate mindset is, is quite sad to me, uh, just, especially since it's not entrenched in any reality and, and they all believe a horrible lie that's been told to them over hundreds of years. And I, I, I feel so bad, but we can break free of that now. Okay. We're all, we're all breaking free from this emancipation, um, in terms of like this racial hierarchy and this racial caste and, and we can do it together. We can, we can make it fun. <laughs> like yeah. we can make it fun. Like it can all just be one big party. And, I, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of excited for that too, you know? Yeah. That's, um, that's a great way to put it. And honestly, I think that's, the best way to to deal with the situation is you have to be positive you have to think of change in a positive way and move forward like you said rather than backwards and i think this is honestly um the perfect way to also end end the episode because we're almost at an hour uh time so thank you for uh really coming into this podcast uh, sharing your opinion, sharing your life experiences, um, giving me wisdom because you you said a lot of things that I had no idea about. So thank you, thank you so much for, for really joining me. Um, where can the people of Austin, Texas or anyone listening to this pod find you or get in touch with you? Oh, uh, well, my Twitter account is at broad and abroad, uh, broad end, like the letter N and then abroad. Um, and to be honest with you, I kind of took a break from a lot of stuff. Like I, I've been starting my own company. Uh, it's taking a lot of my time. Uh, it's a SEO company. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be honest with you, the Twitter is the best way to get in touch with me. I'm, I'm trying to to write the paperwork right now for a um, black leadership in soccer SEO. I'm sorry, SEO nonprofit. And then also like this whole scenario about how uh, my experience in Europe has impacted me. I think I'm going to try to start a nonprofit organization to encourage kids to study in other countries, because to be honest with you, you can go to college, you can go to university in Germany for free if you speak German. Right. So uh, it might be beneficial for, for kids to learn other languages, to go study in other places and kind of open their worldview. Cause that's what softens your heart. That's what really kind of brings you connected to the fact that we are one world. Um, and, and it's a beautiful thing. And, and there's no shame in being working class. I think like, you know, America is kind of like, you know, destroying trades right now and kind of getting rid of unions and kind of demonizing being working class, but being working class is beautiful. And, um, there, there's so much skill. There's so many skills out there and talented people. So we can, you know, we can learn a lot from each other. Awesome. Uh, thank you, Imani. Thank you so much. Um, again, guys, if you like this episode, please, uh, follow Bright Verde on all your, uh, podcast platforms. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on YouTube. Um, you can follow me at Marcelo Parodi FC on Twitter. Uh, where you got Instagram, Bright Vertipod, Facebook, Bright Vertipod. Thank you, Mani, for for coming into this episode. 
Yeah, thank you so much, Marcel, for having me. It's awesome, man. Listos. <laughs> Later.